Hello there, and welcome to this episode of Down to Sleep. If you have found this podcast useful and you would like to support it, you can get rewards by joining me on Patreon at patreon.com slash downtosleep. You get access to two new readings every single week. There are also complete and full audiobooks to download, read by me, such as Coraline and The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and many more. I hope that you enjoy this podcast and find it useful. This is a continued reading of The Haunting of Hill House. At one spot, she stopped altogether beside the road, to stare in disbelief and wonder. Along the road, for perhaps a quarter of a mile, she had been passing and admiring a row of splendid, tended oleanders, blooming pink and white in a steady row. Now she had come to the gateway they protected, and past the gateway the trees continued. The gateway was no more than a pair of ruined stone pillars, with a road leading away between them into empty fields. She could see that the oleander trees cut away from the road and ran up each side of a great square, and she could see all the way to the farther side of the square, which was a line of oleander trees seemingly going along a little river. Inside the oleander square there was nothing, no house, no building, nothing but the straight road going across and ending at the stream. Now, what was here, she wondered, what was here and is gone? Or what was going to be here and never came? Was it going to be a house? Or a garden? Or an orchard? Were they driven away forever? Or are they coming back? Oleanders are poisonous, she remembered. Could they be here guarding something? Will I, she thought, will I get out of my car and go between the ruined gates? And then, once I am in the magic Oleander Square, find that I have wandered into a fairyland, protected poisonously from the eyes of people passing. Once I have stepped between the magic gateposts, will I find myself through the protective barrier, the spell broken? I will go into a sweet garden with fountains and low benches and roses trained over arbors, and find one path, jeweled perhaps, with rubies and emeralds, soft enough for a king's daughter to walk upon with her little sandaled feet, and it will lead me directly to the palace which lies under a spell. I will walk up low stone steps past stone lions, guarding and into a courtyard, where a fountain plays and the queen waits, weeping for the princess to return.
She will drop her embroidery when she sees me, and cry out to the palace servants, stirring at last after their long sleep, to prepare a great feast, because the enchantment is ended, and the palace is itself again, and we shall live happily ever after. No, of course, she thought, turning to start her car once again. Once the palace becomes visible and the spell is broken, the whole spell will be broken. All this countryside outside the oleanders will return to its proper form, fading away. Towns and signs and cows into a soft green picture from a fairy tale. Then, coming down from the hills, there will be a prince riding, bright in green and silver, with a hundred bowmen riding behind him, pennants stirring, horses tossing, jewels flashing. She laughed and turned to smile goodbye with the magic oleanders. Another day, she told them, another day, I'll come back and break your spell. She stopped for lunch after she had driven a hundred miles in a mile. She found a country restaurant which advertised itself as an old mill and found herself seated, incredibly, upon a balcony over a dashing stream looking down upon wet rocks and the intoxicating sparkle of moving water. With a cut glass bowl of cottage cheese on the table before her and corn sticks in a napkin. Because this was a time and a land where enchantments were swiftly made and broken. She wanted to linger over her lunch, knowing that Hill House always waited for her at the end of her day. The only other people in the dining room were a family party, a mother and father, with a small boy and girl. They talked to one another softly and gently, and once the little girl turned and regarded Eleanor with frank curiosity and after a minute, smiled. The lights from the stream below touched the ceiling and the polished tables and glanced along the little girl's curls. And the little girl's mother said, she wants her cup of stars. Eleanor looked up, surprised. The little girl was sliding back in her chair sullenly refusing her milk, while her father frowned and her brother giggled, and her mother said calmly, she wants her cup of stars. Indeed, yes, Eleanor thought, indeed, so do I, a cup of stars, of course. Her little cup, the mother was explaining, 
smiling apologetically at the waitress who was thunderstruck at the thought that the mill's good country milk was not rich enough for the little girl. It has stars in the bottom, and she always drinks her milk from it at home. She calls it her cup of stars, because she can see the stars while she drinks her milk. The waitress nodded, unconvinced. The mother told the little girl, You'll have your milk from your cup of stars tonight, when we get home. But just for now, just to be a very good little girl, will you take a little milk from this glass? Don't do it, Eleanor told the little girl. Insist on your cup of stars. Once they have trapped you into being like everyone else, you will never see your cup of stars again. Don't do it. And the little girl glanced at her and smiled a little subtle, dimpling, wholly comprehending smile and shook her head stubbornly at the glass. Brave girl, Eleanor thought. Wise, brave girl. You're spoiling her, the father said. She ought not to be allowed these whims. Just this once, the mother said. She put down the glass of milk and touched the little girl gently on the hand. Eat your ice cream, she said. When they left, the little girl waved goodbye to Eleanor, and Eleanor waved back, sitting in joyful loneliness to finish her coffee while the gay stream tumbled along below her. I have not very much farther to go, Eleanor thought. I am more than halfway there. Journey's end, she thought, and far back in her mind, sparkling like the little stream, a tag end of a tune danced through her head, bringing distantly a word or so. In delay, there lies no plenty, she thought. In delay, there lies no plenty. She nearly stopped forever just outside Ashton, because she came to a tiny cottage buried in a garden. I could live there all alone, she thought, slowing the car to look down the winding garden path to the small blue front door with perfectly a white cat on the step. No one would ever find me there either, behind all those roses. And just to make sure, I would plant oleanders by the road. I will light a fire in the cool evenings and toast apples at my own hearth. I will raise white cats and sew white curtains for the windows and sometimes come out of my door to go to the store to buy cinnamon and tea and thread. People will come to me to have their fortunes told, and I will brew love potions for sad maidens. I will have a robin. But the cottage was far behind, and it was time to look for her new road so carefully charted out by Dr. Montague.
turn left onto Route 5 going west, his letter said, and as efficiently and promptly as though he had been guiding her from some spot far away, moving her car with controls in his hands, it was done. She was on Route 5 going west, and her journey was nearly done. In spite of what he said, though, she thought, I will stop in Hillsdale for a minute, just for a cup of coffee, because I cannot bear to have my long trip end so soon. It was not really disobeying anyway. The letter said it was inadvisable to stop in Hillsdale to ask the way, not forbidden to stop for coffee. Perhaps, if I don't mention Hill House, I will not be doing wrong. Anyway, she thought obscurely, it's my last chance. Hillsdale was upon her before she knew it. A tangled, disorderly mess of dirty houses and crooked streets. It was small. Once she had come onto the main street, she could see the corner at the end with the gas station and the church. There seemed to be only one place to stop for coffee, and that was an unattractive diner. But Eleanor was bound to stop in Hillsdale, and so she brought her car to the broken curb in front of the diner and got out. After a minute's thought, with a silent nod to Hillsdale, she locked the car. Mindful of her suitcase on the floor and the carton on the back seat. I will not spend long in Hillsdale, she thought, looking up and down the street, which managed, even in the sunlight, to be dark and ugly. A dog slept uneasily in the shade against a wall. A woman stood in a doorway across the street and looked at Eleanor. And two young boys lounged against a fence, elaborately silent. Eleanor, who was afraid of strange dogs and jeering women and young hoodlums, went quickly into the diner clutching her pocketbook and her car keys. Inside, she found a counter with a chinless, tired girl behind it and a man sitting at the end eating. She wondered briefly how hungry he must have been to come in here at all when she looked at the grey counter and the smeared glass bowl over a plate of doughnuts. Coffee she said to the girl behind the counter, and the girl turned wearily and tumbled down a cup from the piles on the shelves. I will have to drink this coffee because I said I was going to, Eleanor told herself sternly, but next time I will listen to Dr. Montague. There was some elaborate joke going on, between the man-eating and the girl behind the counter. When she set Eleanor's coffee down, 
She glanced at him and half smiled, and he shrugged, and then the girl laughed. Eleanor looked up, but the girl was examining her fingernails, and the man was wiping his plate with bread. Perhaps Eleanor's coffee was poisoned. It certainly looked it. Determined to plumb the village of Hillsdale to its lowest depths, Eleanor said to the girl, I'll have one of those doughnuts too, please. And the girl, glancing sideways at the man, slid one of the doughnuts onto a dish and set it down in front of Eleanor and laughed when she caught another look from the man. This is a pretty little town, Eleanor said to the girl. What is it called? The girl stared at her. Perhaps no one had ever had the audacity to call Hillsdale a pretty little town. After a moment, the girl looked again at the man, as though calling for confirmation, and said, Hillsdale? Have you lived here long? Eleanor asked. I'm not going to mention Hill House, she assured Dr. Montague far away. I just want to waste a little time. Yeah, the girl said. It must be pleasant, living in a small town like this. I come from the city. Yeah? Do you like it here? It's all right girl said. She looked again at the man who was listening carefully. Not much to do. How large a town is it? Pretty small. You want more coffee? This was addressed to the man who was rattling his cup against his saucer. Eleanor took a first shuddering sip of her own coffee and wondered how he could possibly want more. Do you have a lot of visitors around here? she asked, when the girl had filled the coffee cup and gone back to lounge against the shelves. Tourists, I mean. What for? For a minute the girl flashed at her, from what might have been an emptiness greater than Eleanor had ever known. Why would anybody come here? She looked sullenly at the man and added, There's not even a movie. But the hills are so pretty, mostly with small out-of-the-way towns like this one. You'll find city people who have come and built themselves homes up in the hills for privacy. The girl laughed shortly. Not here, they don't. Remodeling old houses? Privacy, the girl said and laughed again. It just seems surprising, Eleanor said, feeling the man looking at her. Yeah, the girl said. If they'd put in a movie, even. I thought, Eleanor said carefully, that I might even look around. Old houses are usually cheap, you know, and it's fun to make them over. 
not around here, the girl said. Then, Eleanor said, there are no old houses around here? Back in the hills? Nope. The man rose, taking change from his pocket, and spoke for the first time. People leave this town, he said. They don't come here. When the door closed behind him, the girl turned her flat eyes back to Eleanor, almost resentfully, as though Eleanor with her chatter had driven the man away. He was right, she said finally. They go away, the lucky ones. Why don't you run away? Eleanor asked her. And the girl shrugged. Would I be any better off? she asked. She took Eleanor's money without interest and returned the change. Then, with another of her quick flashes, she glanced at the empty plates at the end of the counter and almost smiled. He comes in every day, she said. When Eleanor smiled back and started to speak, the girl turned her back and busied herself with the cups on the shelves. And Eleanor, feeling dismissed, rose gratefully from her coffee and took up her car keys and pocketbook. Goodbye, Eleanor said, and the girl, back still turned, said, Good luck to you. I hope you find your house. The road leading away from the gas station and the church was very poor indeed, deeply rutted and rocky. Eleanor's little car stumbled and bounced, reluctant to go farther into these unattractive hills, where the day seemed quickly drawing to an end, under the thick, oppressive trees on either side. They do not really seem to have much traffic on this road, Eleanor thought wryly, turning the wheel quickly to avoid a particularly vicious rock ahead. Six miles of this will not do the car any good, and for the first time in hours, she thought of her sister and laughed. By now, they would surely know that she had taken the car and gone, but they would not know where. They would be telling each other incredulously that they would never have suspected it of Eleanor. I would never have suspected it of myself, she thought, laughing still. Everything is different. I am a new person, very far from home. In delay there lies no plenty. Present mirth hath present laughter. And she gasped as the car cracked against a rock and reeled back across the road, with an ominous scraping somewhere beneath but then gathered itself together valiantly and resumed its dogged climb. 
the tree branches brushed against the windshield, and it grew steadily darker. Hill House likes to make an entrance, she thought. I wonder if the sun ever shines along here. At last, with one final effort, the car cleared a tangle of dead leaves and small branches across the road, and came into a clearing by the gate of Hill House. Why am I here? she thought helplessly and at once. Why am I here? The gate was tall and ominous and heavy, set strongly into a stone wall which went off through the trees. Even from the car, she could see the padlock and the chain that was twisted around and through the bars. Beyond the gate, she could see only that the road continued, turned, shadowed on either side by still dark trees. Since the gate was so clearly locked, locked and double-locked and chained and barred, who, she wondered, wants so badly to get in? She made no attempt to get out of her car, but she pressed the horn. The trees and the gate shuddered and withdrew slightly from the sound. After a minute, she blew the horn again, and then saw a man coming toward her from inside the gate. He was as dark and unwelcoming as the padlock, and before he moved toward the gate, he peered through the bars at her, scowling. What you want? His voice was sharp and mean. I want to come in, please. Please unlock the gate. Who say? Why, she faltered. I'm supposed to come in, she said at last. What for? I am expected. Or am I? She wondered suddenly. Is this as far as I go? Who by? She knew, of course, that he was delighting in exceeding his authority, as though once he moved to unlock the gate, he would lose the little temporary superiority he thought he had. And what superiority have I, she wondered. I am outside the gate, after all. She could already see that losing her temper, which she did rarely, because she was so afraid of being ineffectual, would only turn him away, leaving her still outside the gate, railing futilely. She could even anticipate his innocence if he were reproved later for this arrogance. The maliciously vacant grin, the wide blank eyes, the whining voice protesting that he would have let her in, he planned to let her in, but how could he be sure? He had his orders, didn't he? And he had to do what he was told. He'd be the one to get in trouble, wouldn't he? If he let in someone wasn't supposed to be inside. She could anticipate his shrug, picturing him 
she laughed, perhaps the worst thing she could have done. Eyeing her, he moved back from the gate. You better come back later, he said, and turned his back with an air of virtuous triumph. Listen, she called after him, still trying not to sound angry. I am one of Dr. Montague's guests. He'll be expecting me in the house. Please, listen to me. He turned and grinned at her. They couldn't rightly be expecting you, he said, seeing as you're the only ones come so far. Do you mean there's no one in the house? No one I know of. Maybe my wife, getting it fixed up. So they couldn't be there exactly expecting you now, could they? She sat back against the car seat and closed her eyes. Hill House, she thought. You're as hard to get into as heaven. I suppose you know what you're asking for coming here. I suppose they told you back in the city. You hear anything about this place? I heard that I was invited here as a guest of Dr. Montague's. When you open the gates, I will go inside. I'll open them. I'm going to open them. I just want to be sure you know what's waiting for you in there. You've ever been here before? One of the family, maybe? He looked at her now, peering through the bars, his jeering face one more barrier after padlock and chain. I can't let you in till I'm sure, can I? What'd you say your name was? She sighed. Eleanor Vance. Not one of the family, then, I guess. You ever hear anything about this place? It's my chance, I suppose, she thought. I'm being given a last chance. I could turn my car around right here and now, in front of these gates, and go away from here, and no one would blame me. Anyone has a right to run away. She put her head out through the car window and said with fury, My name is Eleanor Vance. I am expected in Hill House. Unlock those gates at once. All right, all right. Deliberately, making a wholly unnecessary display of fitting the key and turning it, he opened the padlock and loosened the chain and swung the gates just wide enough for the car to come through. Eleanor moved the car slowly, but the alacrity with which he leapt to the side of the road made her think for a minute that he had perceived the fleeting impulse crossing her mind. She laughed, and then stopped the car because he was coming toward her, safely from the side. You won't like it, he said. You'll be sorry I ever opened that gate. Out of the way, please, she said. You've held me up long enough. You think they could get anyone else to open this gate? You think 
anyone else would stay around here that long, except me and my wife. You think we can't have things just about the way we want them, long as we stay around here, fix up the house, open the gates for all you city people think you know everything. Please get away from my car. She dared not admit to herself that he frightened her, for fear that he might perceive it. His nearness, leaning against the side of the car, was ugly. His enormous resentment puzzled her. She had certainly made him open the gate for her, but did he think of the house and gardens inside as his own? A name from Dr. Montague's letter came into her mind, and she asked curiously, Are you Dudley, the caretaker? Yes, I'm Dudley, the caretaker, he mimicked her. Who else do you think could be around here? The honest old family retainer, she thought, proud and loyal and thoroughly unpleasant. You and your wife take care of the house all alone. Who else? It was his boast, his curse, his refrain. She moved restlessly, afraid to draw away from him too obviously and yet wanting, with small motions of starting the car to make him stand aside. I'm sure you'll be able to make us very comfortable, you and your wife, she said, putting a tone of finality into her voice. Meanwhile, I'm very anxious to get to the house as soon as possible. He snickered disagreeably. Me, now, he said. Me, I don't hang around here after dark. Grinning, satisfied with himself, he stood away from the car and Eleanor was grateful, although awkward, starting the car under his eye. Perhaps he will keep popping out at me all along the drive, she thought, a sneering Cheshire cat, yelling each time that I should be happy to find anyone willing to hang around this place, until dark anyway. To show that she was not at all affected by the thought of the face of Dudley the caretaker between the trees, she began to whistle, a little annoyed to find that the same tune still ran through her head. Present mirth hath present laughter, and she told herself crossly that she must really make an effort to think of something else. She was sure that the rest of the words must be most unsuitable to hide so stubbornly from her memory, and probably wholly disreputable to be caught singing on her arrival at Hill House. Over the trees, occasionally between them and the hills, she caught glimpses of what must be the roofs, perhaps a tower of Hill House. They made houses so oddly back when Hill House was built, she thought. They put 
towers and turrets and buttresses and wooden lace on them, sometimes gothic spires and gargoyles. Nothing was ever left undecorated. Perhaps Hill House has a tower, or a secret chamber, or even a passageway going off into the hills, probably used by smugglers. Although, what could smugglers find to smuggle around these lonely hills? Perhaps I will encounter a devilishly handsome smuggler and... She turned her car onto the last stretch, a straight drive leading her directly, face to face, to Hill House. Moving without thought, pressed her foot on the brake to stall the car and sat, staring. The house was vile. She shivered and thought, the words coming freely into her mind. Hill House is vile. It is diseased. Get away from here at once. And that is where we close the book tonight on this reading and on this episode of Down to Sleep. 